Okay, so welcome again to this second day of this uh, Mindfulness of Breathing uh, series. And the Buddha, in a, in a variety of places, the Buddha gave the 16 steps, stages, to using uh, breath meditation as a path to liberation in meditation practice. And, um, and the most notable place people refer to is the Anapanasati Sutta, which uh, uh, is on the IMC's website, my translation. It's also found in the Middle Length Discourses. It also appears a few other places, um, a place I'm kind of, you know, like to be touched by, using my imagination, is the Buddha taught this to his son. So it's one of the, one of the few meditation practices he actually taught his son, so when his son was perhaps 14 or 15. So that's kind of nice to think of. I hope. He, he already knows how to, uh, to use his breathing in meditative ways. Um, some just, it happens regularly that he has trouble going to sleep for some reason or other. He has a lot of energy or he's in pain for some reason or he's restless or something. I t- he comes out and says, I can't sleep. And I'll tell him, uh, use your breathing. And uh, he said, okay. And he goes, to, goes back to bed and we don't hear from him again. So he, he, he knows to do something. Um, The 16 stages to Anapanasati, to um, breath meditation, mindfulness of breathing, um, is pretty comprehensive. Uh, and also, uh, what the tradition has done, the early tradition, is try to show how these 16 stages correlate with other practices. Uh, in particular, uh, it correlates it to the four foundations of mindfulness and to the cultivation and development of the seven factors of awakening. And so, the, this discourse, the primary discourse we present this, is a, is, is a scene, is an attempt to kind of harmonize or bring together or show how they work together, the different teachings the Buddha had about meditation practice. Um, the, the 16 stages are divided in groups of four, and those groups of four, um, uh, there are four groups of four, and each of those groups of four are correlated to the four foundations of mindfulness. So the first tetrad is connected to the uh, mindfulness of the body, the second tetrad to the mindfulness of feeling tone, the third tetrad to the mind, mindfulness of the mind, and the last tetrad to the mindfulness of the dharmas. Um, the uh, description of the 16 stages is very brief, just simply basically a sentence for each one. And um, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. In fact, it's not enough inf- information there to really understand what the Buddha had in mind. So what you find is that different teachers will take these 16 kind of telegraphic bullet points and elaborate them in different ways depending on their particular understanding of how meditation uh, unfolds. So in that regard, you'll get my interpretation today. Uh, I'll try to, I'll, as we go through the day, I will certainly try to refer to some of the suttas um, but, uh, you know, it's my, my kind of a little bit my take of it. Uh, I love the breath. I love breath meditation. I've been doing it for 30 years. And I find it very um, uh, useful, very significant, uh, uh, very deepening. Uh, and it's something that I've used, uh, you, know, you know, right to the deepest places of the practice. Uh, it's also been said that this is the practice the Buddha uh, most, uh, most commonly utilized. That's what the Theravada tradition claims. And it said that uh, for the, on the night of his enlightenment, it was the mindfulness of breathing that he used to bring him to, the, to his enlightenment, to his awakening. Um, what I have in mind this, today 
is primarily in the morning to uh, meditate. I'll do a series of guided meditations, kind of going through some of these stages. And then in the afternoon we'll do some meditation, but then I want to um, uh, uh, present the teachings of the mindfulness of breathing in a wider context, in particular to describe how the stages uh, correlate with um, the, um, the jhanas, the absorptions, the development of concentration in Buddhism. So, um, in preparation for um, doing meditation this morning, I want to refer uh, to two things. One is to the big opening of the sutra, and the second is to um, a particular teaching I think is important. You don't need to have this handy, I'll just I'll read it to you. The opening of sutra, is called the Discourse in the Mindfulness of Breathing, opens with a description of a gathering of large gathering of monks that residing in the same place where the Buddha is. And some of uh, the Buddha's most senior disciples, or his most senior disciples, are gathered there. So this is a very auspicious gathering. And whether this actually happened or not, um, we don't know. But even if it didn't happen, it's still, there's a kind of a narrative that's building up, uh, kind of trying to highlight the value of what's about to be said later on. So the Buddha's most senior disciples are there, and um, elder disciples. And gathered around each of them are different groups of new monks. So it's a large gathering. You know, there's like ten different senior senior disciples, and then these groups. There's um, groups of um, uh, ten, groups of twenty, groups of thirty, group of forty monks around these elder monks, and these elder monks are teaching the newer monks. So you can get kind of a scene, and um, in this park-like setting in a forested area, where the Buddha is residing, all these senior monks are residing. And they're all engaged in teaching groups of monks the, uh, uh, how to meditate, how to follow the path. So it's a very intent, it's a very purposeful gathering, it's a very beautiful gathering, I imagine. For me, it's kind of inspiring to imagine it, or to say differently, I use my imagination to let me be inspired by, uh, by the gathering that's there. Because it's kind of useful to use your imagination to get a sense of uh, something larger than, than the kind of dry teachings that appear. So... Um, uh, and then the Buddha looks around and sees all these uh, gathering of, of monks there. And he says, um, he says, looking out over the silent community of monks. So as again, all these large group of people are all silent. And there's something really beautiful about this, uh, people in silence when they have a lot of meditation um, under their belt, when they gather together in that kind of way. There's kind of a very vital, alive silence that can exist in meditation circles. And then Buddha says um, to them, Monks, I am pleased with this practice. I am pleased at heart with this practice. So this is nice. The Buddha is pleased. You know, he's happy. You know, what he's seeing. Things are going well for these people. And then he says, Therefore, initiate even more energy for attaining the unattained, reaching the unreached, seeing what has not been seen. I'll be here for another month. I'll be around for another month. So during this month, basically, you know, um, arouse my energy. And so um, they did. And the Buddha was, after the month, was even more pleased. So, this, so what I want to highlight here was this, uh, there's this of, uh, two, two qualities that are kind of like represented in this beginning of the discourse. One is a sense of purpose or intentness. These people are gathered together with a sense of purpose and intention that here they're going to sit and engage in this path. They're going to try to master the path of meditation. And the second is the arousing of energy to do that. Sometimes people think that arousing of energy 
it goes against the uh, meditation because meditation is becoming calmer and calmer and calmer. And so applying energy is, goes against that. Also, uh, meditation is about maybe letting go of having a goal, of striving. And so energy is striving, having a goal, and you're supposed to have that. So here, uh, you have, see both a strong sense of intent or purpose and uh, encouragement to arouse energy, to really apply oneself, to engage in this process. So how that translates for me, or to, maybe to us, is when you come to meditate, uh, you can also arouse some of the same qualities when you sit down. Hopefully, you sit down to meditate, there is a healthy but strong sense of purpose or sense of intentionality that you're here to do something. You're not here wishy-washy, you're not kind of too casual about your meditation. You sit down. It doesn't mean you're tense or have high expectation of what's going to happen, but it means you sit down with some sense of, oh, here you are, some sense of purpose, some sense of you're here to be engaged, um, some sense of, um, of um, you know, purpose. The second is the arousing of energy. That really you're going to apply yourself. This is something you're going to engage in. And so um, energy or engagement has a lot of different meanings. It can have the kind of general meaning that each day you're going to sit up and you're going to meditate and you're going to apply yourself and arouse the energy to do that. But also when you sit down to meditate, there is some arousing of uh, vitality, of, um, of effort, of, um, of energy in the system when you sit down. And I think of this very much initially as something we do physically with our body. So not only do we sit down with a sense of purpose physically, something we manifest with our body, we sit down to be here and be grounded and really be here, show up, really show up. It's kind of like I'm here to show up. And so we show up with our body. And then there's a sense of with energy. And you sit with the kind of, not, not you know, couch potato, but you sit here with some sense of being upright and alert and to be here and be present. So that's, that's, you know, my reading of kind of the opening to this discourse. You know, it's kind of, and there's more, more things I could say about this opening that kind of enforces that same kind of idea. So that's one way of reading this discourse, is to use the opening as a way of kind of, use your imagination to kind of set a scene that prepares you for the teaching on sit down to meditate. Um, then the Buddha, then, then the second thing I want to say, which is not in the discourse, and that is that um, meditation practice stands on two legs. This is what I taught Monday night. Stands on two legs. One leg is um, paying, so one way or other, paying attention to something in the present moment, paying attention to what's happening. Especially for mindfulness meditation, noticing what's happening is really a key. So not about what's going to happen, not what did happen, but what's happening now. So some ability to be in the present moment and be present for what's happening in the present moment. That's one leg. The second leg of meditation practice, mindfulness practice, is paying attention to your relationship to what's happening. How are you relating to that? Given that your body is sore when you sit down or aching, given that your mind is restless, given your mind is settled, given that there's lots of noise outside, given that, you know, any kind of condition at all, how are you relating to that? And this issue of a relationship uh, is very important at many, many different levels of a Buddhist life. It's our relationship to the teachings. It's our relationship to the practice. It's our relationship to ourselves doing the practice. It's our relationship to the Buddha, to the Dharma Sangha. It's our relationship to um, um, our experiences we have when we meditate. There's, you know, our relationship is a really key and important aspect of what's going on here. Because without there being a relationship, there is no Dharma. Without there being a relationship, there's nothing going on. You know, we're not passing on dry knowledge that you're supposed to memorize and then carry with you. 
You're supposed to engage, have a relationship with this material, where somehow you take this material in enough that you think, oh yes, this is something I want to do. I want to apply, I want to apply it to my life, I want to engage. And that's having a relationship to it. And there's many levels of that relationship. Um, and then, um, so one of the things we look at is what is our relationship to, the, to what's happening, to our experience, and what's relationship to Buddhism, and to practice, and meditation, and all these different things. And some of this investigation of a relationship maybe should happen on a walk, or to happen with a friend going for a walk. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, you can be much more contemplative, uh, thinking about your relationship to the Buddha's teaching, your relationship to um, teachings of some other teacher, your relationship to you know, all kinds of things. To actually look and see, how, what, what are you bringing to it? Because you're always bringing something. What are you bringing? You're not a neutral party in this. So what are you bringing? It might be you're bringing relationship of hesitation. I don't know about this Buddhism stuff. You know, I'm not sure I want to do this. Or, um, or you know, I want to do it my way. And this, you know, you know, I don't know what Gil's going to say today, but I'll just listen a little bit. I'm going to do it my way, regardless of what he says. You know, there's, 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 you bring, you, we bring some, always bring something with it, with us, that I'm calling now the relationship. So taking some responsibility for what we bring, who we are when we show up, and what that relationship we're forming is very important. And you're always going to have something. It might be that you're, think that everything the Buddha said is the, you know, is absolute truth, and you're kind of listening, you know, with, you know, with rapt attention, take it all in. That's a relationship. That's a, that's a relationship. That's a belief. That's an attitude. You bring a certain kind of rapt attention, some kind of fundamentalist belief to this. Then, so there's always something going on. And unfortunately, until you attain nibbana, nirvana, freedom, um, you're always going to be bringing something to the experience, some relationship. And it's really helpful to look at that and take responsibility for it. I've known a lot of meditators who have been turned a blind eye to their relationship to Buddhism, teachings, themselves, to how they practice, to what's happening in meditation practice. Their relationship somehow is, somehow doesn't count. It's not part of the, it's the thing. And so they're kind of walking on one leg, given that the two legs are what's happening in our relationship to it. So when we look at our relationship to our experience or to meditation, one of the really important teachings, I believe, in Buddhism is the Four Noble Truths, which I would like to interpret here and now as a teaching that encourages us to be relaxed, to be at ease, to have a relationship of being at ease with what is, ha- what is happening, to not cling, to not, not resist, um, not push something to happen, but to keep coming back and seeing, can we have a relationship where we somehow relax in relationship to what's happening, or somehow allow the mind to be at ease, Regardless of what's happening, even if you feel uneasy, can you be easy with that? And um, so there's a, there's a kind of a, I don't know, constant, but an ongoing kind of checking in with oneself and seeing, how am I relating to what's happening here? Am I relating in some way that's tense? Am I relating in some way that's striving and pushing? Am I relating hesitant, kind of uncommitted to the breath? Am I just kind of holding back, you know, magical thinking, thinking, well, if I just sit here long enough, something magical will happen? Um, you know, um, so what's that relationship and is there some way, healthy way that you can relax the mind, open the mind soften the mind that's in relationship to our experience so this is a very important uh, part of the practice now you can be neurotically looking at your relationship all the time 
And then you're only standing on one leg again, right? And then you just kind of become self-defeating if you're always just looking, at, you know, there's nothing, you know, at the relationship. But, um, but periodically to kind of check in. And it becomes a safeguard, very important protection, that your meditation practice doesn't um, go down a wrong path of excessive pushing, clinging, tensing, resisting, that can happen. And even very good meditators can be pushing too much in meditation, can be kind of focusing too hard in meditation. And, can, and through that hard focus, can attain altered states of concentration, various things. And so it can seem like this is the way to go. But I think that in the bigger picture, uh, attaining altered states of concentration when there is a kind of pushing and hard kind of striving and trying to make something happen is counterproductive. And so finding some way to relax um, and constantly relax and maintain the energy and, and maintain the sense of purpose is a, a very important um, uh, task of meditation practice. Um, So in the discourse of the <clears throat> mindfulness of breathing, the Buddha says, um, having gone to the wilderness, a foot of a tree or an empty building, a person sits down with legs crossed and body, <coughs> and body erect, establishing mindfulness, always attentive when inhales with mindfulness and exhales with mindfulness. Breathing in long, one knows I breathe in long. Breathing in short, one knows I breathe in short. Breathing out long, one knows I breathe out long. Breathing uh, out short, one knows I'm breathing out short. Breathing in, I experience the whole body. Breathing out, I experience the whole body. Breathing in, I calm the bodily formations. Breathing out, I calm the bodily formation. So those are the first, that's the first tetrad. The first instruction is to be aware of your, of your in-breath, whether it's long or short. Be aware of your out-breath. Be aware whether it's long or short. Then uh, be aware of the whole body when you breathe. Um, and what that means is you know, up for interpretation by different people. And then, uh, it's, it's, then at some point, the fourth, the fourth aspect of this first tetrad is then beginning to relax what's called the bodily formation. And one of the big t- themes of today, and this morning, will be this bodily formation thing, to understand what that means and how to relax it. Um, and then uh, hopefully today we'll also move into the beginning of the next tra- tetrad, where the point is to use the breath, help use the, with the help of the breath of meditation, uh, have the, um, uh, uh, bring on joy. So those people who are content with contentment, We'll, uh, we'll get into that. And, but you can't really move into the joy part unless you're sufficiently tranquil, calmed, relaxed, at ease with how things are. In fact, the joy, meditative joy that arises, arises because the mind is at ease. So in this initial beginning, it's beginning to learn how to be at ease with how things are. It's not an easy task, but that's kind of where it goes. Make sense? <clears throat> so... Um, If you'd like to stand for a minute, you've been sitting now for half an hour, so stand and then we'll start with the meditation.
So, um, <coughs> take a little bit of a purposeful posture. A posture that somehow, maybe not through the posture, that you, you're going to sh- be here and you're going to show up as if your presence counts. Here you are, sitting upright, unapologetic. <laughs> 